0: Mark chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 30 to 56. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, that word means wilderness, and rest awhile. For many were coming and going, and they had no uh, leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran ahead there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd." And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketfuls full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, They thought it was a ghost, and he cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened." When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to whenever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment." and as many as touched it were made well. Now, somebody has famously said that this is a passage of Scripture that conveys to us both at the same time the extraordinary majesty of the Lord Jesus and His profound compassion for us. And these are two good things to fuse in our minds and hearts. So let me pray that we'll do that. Our Father, we pray that you would help us understand what Mark is teaching in this passage and that these two dimensions, the majesty and the sovereignty of the great, uh, the Lord Jesus and his profound compassion and kindness would both Hit us in our minds and hearts at the same time. For both together is the Lord Jesus as he really is. Help us to grasp that. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, we come today to an extraordinary section of Mark's eyewitness account of the life ministry of Jesus. There are three miracle accounts that we read in Mark. Firstly, Jesus feeds this vast crowd. How vast? Verse 44, those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Add the women and the children, and we're talking uh, 15,000 minimum, maybe as many as 20,000. Now, for the football aficionados among you, The capacity of Easter Road Stadium and Tynecastle Park in Edinburgh, just over 20,000. That's how many people, now it would be a miracle if either of these stadiums were full. Notice I am being entirely neutral in saying either. The one I support to be fair is less likely to be full. But imagine a crowd of that size. That's the reality. And Jesus feeds them with nothing. Now, it's high stakes, this miracle for Christian faith. You, you only have two conclusions, really. There's no kind of middle ground that this was, in fact, an extraordinary miracle of generosity. You know, think of the football analogy. 20 people went and bought a pie at halftime, and they shared it with all 20,000. I mean, that's just... Is nonsense. It's either true or it's made up. It's either factually true or it's just a faith story. And that really is high stakes for Christianity, because if this is a made-up faith story, well, what confidence do we have that the resurrection is not a made-up faith story? Christians, believe based on the evidence that Mark records. We may find it hard to get our heads around how this can happen. It's not natural. It's supernatural. But it's not unnatural for a God to be able to do this stuff. This happened, as Mark describes. So, let's not just miss the reality of the extraordinary events described. Second miracle, Jesus walks on the water. He walks on the sea. And then he gets into the boat with the disciples, and there is calm. When I wrote this this week, the wind was howling, and the rain was battering off the windows. And the disciples, many of whom were fishermen, their reaction, they were astonished. He gets in the boat, calm. And then verses 53 to 56, numerous healing miracles People from across the whole region brought people to him, whether he was in a village or a city or a town or in the countryside, he healed them. And that extraordinary statement just at the end of verse 56, that they just touched the very edge, the hem of his coat, and they were healed now. What's striking about these miracles is that they are extraordinary. What is also striking is just how uh, matter-of-fact, without exaggeration nor emotion, Mark records these miracles. And one of the reasons for that is the miracle accounts in the Bible, they are true, but we are meant to leave these to one side to focus our attention on the miracle maker. That's the purpose of these accounts. Now, this is a, a, an extraordinary passage in, in the Bible, and uh, there are lots of things we can take from it. I'm going to try and cover uh, four in our time. You'll see them on the back of the, the sheet. Now, the big, big, big point in this passage, and indeed the whole of Mark's Gospel, and if you are new to Christianity or not yet a Christian, the most important thing you have to come to terms with is who Jesus is, his identity. It all hangs on that. Now, up to this point in Mark's gospel, what Mark has been doing is establishing in our minds that Jesus is God's chosen human So that's uh, the first few chapters, and if we had time, we'd go back and we'd look at that, but you can listen to some of the earlier recordings of talks on the early chapters. Jesus is God's chosen human king, and it's really important that we understand everything about Jesus, that we don't have a monochrome picture of him or a partial picture of him. Jesus is God's human chosen king. Jesus had to be human to save us. He had to be human to save us. Now, if that is all that he is, he couldn't save us because he also had to be God. So, you've got to fuse these two together. And it's not that Jesus was both, or it's not that he was human and also God. He is both man and God in one person, two natures, but one person. Now, we'll see a lot more later on in Mark's gospel as why it is that Jesus had to be human as he dies on the cross. That's really important, though. We often, um, we often get our heads around the fact that he is, he is divine, the eternal Son of God, and forget that he had to be human as well. Now, in this bit of Mark chapter 6, Mark is shifting from establishing that Jesus is a God's human chosen king to establishing the fact that he is the eternal Son of God. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, how do we know that this passage is telling us that Jesus is is God. The key, I think, is in verse 50. So have a look at that. Chapter 6, verse 50. A key verse, really, for the, the whole section, right in the middle of it. Mark writes, Jesus' words, "'Take heart, or be of courage,' Or be steadfast, it is I, do not be afraid. Let me give you an absolutely literal translation of that. Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Now, the divine name the Jews had for God was Yahweh, a Hebrew word that means I am. And that is the name that God used for Himself at the beginning of the exodus when He revealed Himself to Moses. And the exodus in salvation history, or in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus that we read, is how God called Moses to lead God's people out of their physical slavery in Egypt, out across the Red Sea, if you know Exodus, you'll know that, and into a promised physical land. Turn back to the passage that Malcolm read in Exodus chapter 3, and you'll get that on page 46. This is the very beginning of the Exodus. This is God calling Moses. And the whole of the rest of the book tells us the story of what happened, the history of what happened. So let's read Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 again. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am is how God referred to himself. And back in Mark 6, go back there. And our key verse, verse 50 The miracle maker, the Lord Jesus, God's chosen human king, is now saying, Take heart, I am exactly the same name that God uses of himself. Do not be afraid. The divine name that Jesus uses is the divine name that God uses of Himself. But there is one big difference. Not in terms of what is said, it is the same. Not in terms of who is speaking. It is God the Father who says, My name is I am. And now it is God the Eternal Son who says, My name is I am. The big difference is in the presence of God. Back in Exodus, God's presence was in a bush that was on fire. I mean, that was pretty extraordinary, such that Moses could not look at it out of fear of the Lord, and he could not stand near it because he was on holy ground. But now in the Gospels, at this point in salvation history, the presence of God is in the person of Jesus. God with us in the person of Jesus. Now these chapters in Mark, open our eyes to see who the Lord Jesus truly is. He is, in the early chapters of Mark, God's chosen human king. He is a man. But now here in these extraordinary miracle accounts, he is telling us, and the evidence before our eyes is that he performs these creation miracles think back to chapter 4 and 5 these extraordinary miracles where he calmed a, another storm when he healed a demon possessed man when he cured an incurable illness and raised extraordinarily a dead child to life and how did he do it he said let there be. He spoke a word like God at creation. And now here in Mark 6, the man before our eyes, based on the evidence before our eyes, written by people who were there and saw these things, is that this man, Jesus, is Almighty God. And it's really important that we see just how, how awesome he is here. So, think back to Moses in the Exodus. He could not look for fear of the Lord. He could not stand near because he was on holy ground. And here, God is in the flesh of Christ, and we need to never diminish His majesty, His glory, and His awesome sovereignty in our minds. Later on in Mark in chapter 9, Jesus is transfigured. The the human Christ is seen to be the glory of God. Sometimes, Christians diminish the glory of God in Christ. Other times, we just go there and forget the humanity and compassion and personal nature of God in Christ. Wonderfully, they are both there. Both there. And that makes the Jesus of our faith the most extraordinary Savior. So, that's the first thing Mark does here. The second is that he clarifies Jesus' mission. What is Jesus' mission? What did He come to earth to do? What does He want to do in our lives? Well, we have seen in Mark that he has come to speak a message of forgiveness. Mark is clear that Jesus' primary purpose in coming is to speak a message of forgiveness, and then to give his life as the means of that forgiveness. And that emphasis on speaking the words of Jesus, some of you may have been at events week in Edinburgh the past week, and most of what was done, if not all of what was done, was speaking. But that's exactly how Jesus said we should communicate his message. So, just look at verse 34 of chapter 6, this emphasis on speaking. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, what happens when a sheep has no shepherd? The sheep doesn't get fed. The sheep is not safe. The sheep will wander around aimlessly because it's a sheep. And it will follow other sheep. A sheep needs a shepherd. And God's people needs a spiritual shepherd. Shepherd is used all through the Bible to mean leader or teacher. Jesus had compassion on them because the religious leaders of their day, and there is nothing time-bound about that problem, were not being faithful shepherds. And what is a faithful shepherd? Well, what does Jesus do? He teaches them, and the Greek there is lots and lots and lots and lots he feeds them with the words of god but uh, that's just a reminder that a big emphasis in mark is the power of the spoken word but what mark is doing primarily here in chapter 6 in terms of uh, clarifying jesus mission is to amplify or expand on the content of the message. You know, it's very easy for us to hear, Jesus died for our sins, or repent and believe, or your sins are forgiven, or that's the heart of the gospel, but it's easy for us to hear a phrase or a verse like that and think of it as some kind of simple statement, That all it requires of me is faith, which is true, but you've got to think of forgiveness of sins as the most extraordinary movement from there to there. Far bigger than the power and commitment and faithfulness of God to get the people of God in the Exodus out of Egypt and all the way to the promised land. Forgiving our sins is a far greater miracle than the parting of the waters that allowed the people of God to cross the sea. And we've got to feel the extraordinary divine intervention in our lives when we hear a phrase like Christ died for our sins. It took an enormous supernatural intervention with compassion from God. Now, what Mark is doing in this passage is he is getting us to recall in our minds the earlier Exodus event, the big event in the Old Testament, and he is saying in Jesus there is a new Exodus, a new Movement from there to there. Not an exodus of slavery to freedom, but an exodus of unforgiven sin to forgiven sin. Not an exodus on the surface, but an exodus in the heart. Not an exodus that deals with the surface problem, but the real problem. From darkness to light, from hell to glory, from hopelessness to hope, from being under the judgment of God to being a child of God, now, how do we know Mark six is a new Exodus? Well, let me point out some of the parallels, and between the services, some people give me a whole lot more. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five. I've got seven here. That's a perfect number. He says, I am. He uses the words of God at the beginning of the Exodus. He goes up on a mountain. Moses went up on a mountain to meet God. The crossing of the sea in the Exodus. The waters parted. They crossed the Red Sea to get to the other side. Here, Jesus walks across the sea. The disciples are in a storm. He calms the storm so they get to the other side. This feeding miracle takes place, Mark says it three times, verse 31, verse 32, verse 35, in a desolate place. Wilderness, wilderness, wilderness. The people of God wandered in the wilderness on the way to the promised land for 40 years. In the wilderness, back in the Exodus, God provided every day bread from heaven. Manna. Here God provides bread from heaven. This is no miracle of generosity from human to human. This is a miracle of generosity from God to humanity. And there are many more parallels. Here's one little tiny detail. See if you think I'm making this up. Verse 39. Just to hint I'm not. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Why the reference to green grass? Okay, here's option A. Because it was spring. How do you know it was spring? We don't know it was spring. That's just logical and You've got to go to the Bible for the answer. Why does he talk about green grass in the wilderness? Because the prophet Ezekiel said that there would come a day when they will lie down and be fed in green grazing land. And when the Lord Jesus, who is the only one who can truly sing the psalm that is so familiar to us, he will lead me in green pastures and by quiet waters, Now, there is no doubt that this passage here in Mark 6 is there to remind us of that exodus, but the exodus here makes the exodus then look like just a tiny, tiny event in history. For the exodus here is an exodus from sin to forgiveness. That's an extraordinary thing. I think as Christians, we can underestimate the sovereignty of God. We can underestimate the compassion of God. We can underestimate the fear we should have of God. We can underestimate the love we should have for God. We can underestimate the extraordinary magnitude of the problem of human sin and the even more extraordinary magnitude of the love of God and the judgment of God on Christ to deal with with that human sin. So this passage in the end, where does it resolve? Where does it resolve? You go forward to, to Mark 14 or John chapter 6 and Jesus says, as he stands with his disciples and celebrates the Passover, which is the event in the Exodus back then when the angel of death passed over the houses where the blood of the Lamb and Jesus takes the bread that recalled the manna in the wilderness. And he said, Take, eat, this is me. So Jesus didn't come to the earth to provide bread, he came to earth to be the bread of heaven. Now, there's much more in that to come. And we've got to just keep in check and not run all the way through the gospel. Number three. And quickly. I'm two minutes ahead of where I was in the first service, and I was done in 37 minutes with the reading. That's pretty good, isn't it? So we're doing well. Jesus' compassion. So you get his glory, his majesty in this passage, this awesome God, and his compassion. Look at verse 34 again. He had compassion on the crowd, for they were shepherdless. And I don't think it would be wrong to say if you are not yet a Christian that the Lord Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, has compassion for you and wants to be your shepherd. Verse 39, the green grass, I've already referred to this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord is sovereign and inflexible on what it takes to be saved. But He wants to care for us and to be compassionate. What are the green pastures for a Christian? Well, strange as it may seem to be, the church, not institutions, not any of that, but the living community of faith, which should be for you a haven. The green pastures are the Bible, the Word of God. And the Lord is with you. Verse 42, just compassionate, he feeds them. What a contrast he is to Herod. Herod throws a big banquet for himself. With his human power, what does Jesus do with his divine power? He feeds them. He serves them. And then verses 48 to 50, beautiful verses. Let's read them. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Think of these three compassionate actions of the Lord. Number one, he came to them. In their particular difficulty. But notice the direction of travel. It's always that way with grace. He came to them. When I fear my faith will fail, He will hold me fast. He comes to you. He spoke to them. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus speaks to you. And what does He say? Take heart, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. There are times in our lives as Christians that he comes right into the circumstances with us. That's why in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd, in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is no longer he, as if he were over there, but the Lord is you because you address him personally. He is right there with you. The extraordinary God, the God of the Exodus, the one who deploys all his power and humility to deliver us from sin, is full of compassion. Finally, Jesus' prayer is that we understand. Verse 37, there's an odd little text. What a strange thing Jesus says to the disciples. You give them something to eat. I mean, that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? What's he looking for them to say? I think we can see this from later on in chapter 8. What he's looking for them to say is something like, no, Jesus, we can't do it, but we think because of what we have seen that you could faith which means simple trust verse 46 he prays he prays three times in mark three recorded times twice for himself in a kind of crisis in his own ministry back in chapter 135 to 39 what should i do and then in gethsemane here he prays for the disciples that they might understand who he is and trust him and then the end of verse 48 Another little detail. He meant to pass by them. What does that mean? That he wants them. He didn't want to have to come to them in person. He did it. But he wants them and he wants us to learn that we can trust him when they cannot see him. So think back, if you know Mark, to chapter 4, the storm, the first storm. What frightened them was that Jesus was asleep, but he was no less Jesus. And he is no less Jesus here when he is not physically with them in his power. He meant to pass them by. Now I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and I'm going to pray that we will be captivated by this man, Jesus Christ, for the first time, or for just another Sunday of many hundreds of Sundays. But what's better than me praying is that Jesus is praying. Isn't that great? He's praying for you. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this extraordinary passage, full of rich things, a passage that blows our minds at the majesty of God in Christ, and a passage that moves our hearts for the compassion of Jesus for us. Lord, perhaps the passage calls for just one thing from us, simple, simple faith maybe for the first time for someone here, and maybe for those of us who have been Christians for a long, long time, what we need to hear is just trust me. Be of courage and do not be afraid, says Jesus, our Savior.